The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. It is, again, good to be with you all. And as I said, we were, our family was on vacation this past week. We went down to the south end of the island. And I knew I would be preaching from this psalm. And as I was preparing, I confessed to a friend this morning, I was just sort of in a funk. Um, I don't know why, uh, but I had a very melancholy spirit. Um, I didn't have a reason. Uh, I was in a beautiful place with a wonderful family, uh, all who were healthy. And uh, I sat on a, a balcony overlooking uh, the Atlantic and the beach, and yet there was just a cloud. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's for reasons, and sometimes there's not a reason. And so this morning, you, you may be in a funk, uh, or maybe you're not. Uh, I, I think as I reflected on this psalm, um, we're told that it's from David, but we're not really sure of the circumstances. Uh, one um, writer was posing the idea that this was later in his life, and that David might have been in a funk. And so he starts to to remember God's work in his life and and how God has been faithful throughout the course of his days. And so as we read this psalm, I want you to think about that, about the place where you're at, the circumstances of your life and what's going on. And as Martin Luther said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. And so hear the gospel from Psalm 103. And so in honor and reverence for God's word, would you stand as we read this psalm, or as I read this psalm. Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said life must be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards, by looking backwards. And so, as I mentioned, we don't know the circumstances of this particular psalm or when it was written or what was going on, but most would believe that it was written after or or later in David's life. After he had had uh, been chased by King Saul, that he had fought many battles, as he had committed grievous sins with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah, as he had sinned publicly in front of all God's people. So no doubt did he have a keen awareness of his own sin. But as we know from uh, Psalms like Psalm 51, he also had a precious assurance of God's pardon. And as he sits, perhaps advanced in his years, looking back, he, he looks back through all the events of his life, and he begins to have clarity about God's grace and mercy to him. He has clarity about how God has been with him every step of the way. And he reminds himself not to forget. He reminds himself through this rather grand psalm that is the beginning of a series of four that calls us into praise for what God has done from creation through the exile. And it points us forward to the fullness of how all the details in these psalms can only find their fulfillment in Jesus. This morning I came in and I, there's a, a, a series, um, a, a commentary set on the psalms written by Charles Spurgeon, the great um, British Baptist pastor. Uh, this particular psalm that I had poured over this week and thought, how in the world am I going to get all of this and communicate all of this? Um, as, as a friend of mine would say, it's like cramming a four-bedroom house into a two-bedroom apartment. Um, the Spurgeon wrote, he said, Our attempt at exposition of the 103rd Psalm is commenced under an impressive sense of the utter impossibility of doing justice to so sublime a composition. We call upon our soul and all that is within us to aid in the pleasurable task. But alas, our soul is finite and all our mental faculties far too little for the enterprise. There is too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures which is a Bible in itself. And it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. So what we are looking at this morning is a grand peak in the psalm book in the range of the psalm book. And what I would encourage you today is that as we looked at the multifaceted brilliance of Psalm 103, that don't walk away from today and say, well, I've got that one covered. 
we will come back and back and back and back again and again to this psalm. And we will unearth the different jewels that are layered within this particular psalm. But as we look at it this morning, we're going to look at three things. We see a call to remember, a call to recognize, and a call to rejoice. A call to remember, a call to recognize, and a call to rejoice. So first, let's get started in this call to remember. The the psalm starts off and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. In the beginning, in the first five verses, David is talking to himself. He's having a sit down and he's speaking to his own heart. Again, we don't know what the circumstances of his life were at this time, but perhaps he too was in a a funk. And in that, he was assuring himself of who God is and all his excellencies. And he was reviewing God's character and he was responding in praise. Oftentimes, it's very difficult to do that. Each of us has had those moments when we get up and we just simply don't want to read our Bible. Or we do and we don't feel like we got anything out of it. Or we get up and we tussle with the children or we have a, 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 a morning spat with our spouse or there's a tree lying in the road on the way to church and we come in and, and, and we, just, we just feel off. We feel off. Well, it's in those moments that we need to continue to return to the Word, to continue to return in prayer, to continue to seek out the Lord and all His goodness. It's in this passage that, that David is doing this by reminding himself of the Exodus story. He's reminding himself of the Exodus story. In Exodus, we find the story of God's people being oppressed in bondage in Egypt for several hundred years. And God raises up a deliverer and he sends out Moses to redeem and deliver God's people from their oppression. David says, bless the Lord. You see the capital letters there. That's referring to the covenant name Yahweh. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. David had an acute sense of the Lord's holiness. And when he says holy name and Yahweh, what he's referring to is Exodus 3.14 when God has manifested himself in the burning bush and Moses is caught by this side of a bush that is consumed with fire but yet is not burnt up. And he goes to the bush to see what's going on in the spectacle. And as he does, the Lord reveals himself to Moses. He tells him to take off his sandals for the ground to which he is standing is holy. And he has this interaction with Moses and he says, you are to go back to Egypt. You are going to go back to the place where you have fled. And you are going to be the instrument, the, the human instrument who is going to declare to Pharaoh that I am going to deliver my people. And in this exchange, Moses says, well, if I should go, they're going to ask me who sent me. And so what am I supposed to say? That's the Tennessee paraphrase. And and what God says is tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. And in there he reveals his name, the name of God. He says, 
I am or Yahweh. What's interesting about the name Yahweh is that it's a derivative of the active Hebrew verb to be, to become. So when it's used in the first person as if God is speaking about himself, he's saying, I am. When Moses goes and declares it, the way that it would function is he would say, he is or he will be. You see, what God was telling Moses and and, and communicating to him is that he was to go back and to speak to the Pharaoh, but also to speak to his people. And he says, I know that you're in hardship. I I have reviewed your estate. I know that this is not where you're supposed to be. And this was not the promise that was made to, to your forefathers. But I am. And he is. And he will be. And so what God was declaring to Moses was to go back and to to talk about the promises that he had made. And that God was going to act in such a way as to redeem his people from their oppression. And that he who was and who is and will be would do those things on their behalf. And so it's in this moment where, where David is reflecting on his holy name that he is stirred within his soul, to sing God's praises. And as he does it, he says, forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his promises. And as he does so, he recounts just a few here in this passage through these, um, these uh, clauses that support it. He says, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. That word iniquity or sin, which is sometimes translated in other passages, talks about our gross immoral behavior. David had committed adultery. David had had the husband of, of the woman that he had adultery with murdered. David had lied. David had, did, did not have a stellar life. And so David is remembering the Lord's compassion and kindness and His mercy that has forgiven him. And he's reminding himself of this because he too forgets the gospel every day and needs to hear it. He says, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems you, your life, from the pit. That word pit is closely associated with death or the grave. He says, the one who heals you from your spiritual diseases. The one who who redeems you from the pit of death and destruction. who, Who not only does that, but he crowns you with his grace and his mercy. His steadfast love. He satisfies you. He satisfies you with good. And what David is doing is he is speaking these things to himself to drown out all the other voices. In Romans 1, when Paul is talking about how sin has crept into the world, what he essentially says in a summary statement is that Satan and sin are at work to convince us that the truth is a lie, and a lie is the truth. How often do we succumb to the lies that we hear in the world? That if Life would only have meaning, and I would, only had, I would only have worth if I had power and influence over others. That life would only have meaning, and I would only have worth if I am loved and respected by that person. 
that life will only have meaning and worth if I have the kind of pleasure and experience and a particular quality of life. That life would have meaning and worth if I am only able to get master, gain mastery in my life over what area? You see, David had struggles like we had struggles. But in those things, he knew that even if he had reached the summit of the, that thing that he thought he needed, it would never satisfy. He says the, the fullness of a good life is to be satisfied in the benefits of the Lord. And he reminds himself and calls us to remember God's unfailing faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful. And as he shifts from there, he moves into a call to recognize. A call to recognize. Recognize God's works and God's character. God's works and his character. And he does this initially through, again, retelling of an episode in the Exodus story. What is interesting about this is that in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That text is a quote from Exodus 34, 6. Exodus 34, 6 says those very same words. And what has happened in Exodus 34? In Exodus 32, which is probably the bigger issue, is that after God had delivered his people from Egypt and brought them through dry ground as he had parted the waters of the Red Sea and then covered them again over the forces of Pharaoh who were chasing them, he brought them out and set them at Sinai and he had gone up, Moses had gone up and had received the Ten Commandments. When he came down, because it was taking a little too long, and the Israelites were wondering if they were there yet, that they decided that they needed to take on, to, to work, in order to worship, they needed to be like the Egyptians and to have a form or an image. And so what do they do? They take out all the, the gold and the, the various increments that they, or, or trinkets that they had gotten from the Egyptians on their way out, and they melt them down and they fashion a bull that they would worship. So, I mean, the, the, ground, the, the ground of the water, um, the ground underneath the Red Sea hadn't already been soaked in, you know, again from where it had been parted. And these folks were already committing sins and worshiping idols. And the Lord's anger burns against them. And, and, and Moses comes down and he's just so just upset and bothered that he takes the tablets and he throws them down and he breaks them. And the Lord says, I'm going to just strike down all these people. And Moses goes and he intercedes for them. And as he intercedes, he says, Lord, I get it. We're a mess. But what would Egypt say if you had just brought us out here to kill us? How would that bring glory to your name? And in the course of Moses interceding for Israel, the Lord comes to him and says, I will relent. And he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His steadfast love, his grace, his, his kindness, his compassion, it abounds. And from there, it launches into these, this, this, this series of metaphors. Because his, his grace knows no limits. 
And it is unchanging and it is unbounded. And because of that, we need great metaphors that that stimulate our minds to think about the extravagance of God's grace. And he starts off in verse 11. He says, For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is my steadfast love. He says, Look up and, and look at the sky. Now, certainly we know things in the technological era that maybe they didn't. But they look up and all they see is sky and then they see the stars and they say, boy, that is an incredible distance. Who could climb up there? That's the same thing with God's steadfast love. It is so great and so immense. We say, who is worthy of of, of receiving it? But God moves towards us in our, our helpless and oppressed state and he works righteousness on our behalf. And he lavishes his love upon us. The next metaphor that he uses, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Another translation of that would be, As far as the sunrise is from the sunset. The Lord's forgiveness, his kindness to his people is so decisive that those things that were a source of shame and a source of guilt, and a source of anxiety and stress and frustration in your life. Those things that separated you from God have been so far removed in a decisive act of God's mercy and kindness that they no longer define who you are. It's a beautiful thought. This week... As I was thinking of this, I, I, from our hotel, I could see the sunrise when I looked out to the left. And we could see the sunrise, you know, 15 hours or sunset 15 hours later way down here. It's, it's amazing to think the imagery of the Lord and as far as the east is from the west. Nothing, nothing can bring those two together. And so nothing will be able to bring our sin back upon us. For the Lord has paid it in full and removed it from us. And then he, he moves towards this next one, this next image. And he says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I understand that some of us had absent fathers. Some of us had abusive fathers. All of us have had imperfect fathers. And as an imperfect father, I, I read this and, 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 and I thought, well, well what is this to mean? Because I don't often show compassion to my children. I'm often not slow to anger either. And, and what this is reminding us is that while we have this image of a father in our minds, Jesus says even the worst of fathers doesn't give his children a snake when he asks for bread. And so what this is assuring us is that as a father loves his child, as a father protects and provides and cares for his child and watches over his children, so does the Lord watch over us. I found myself this week as my girls uh, were out riding waves, doing what my father had done with me so many years ago. And what did he do? We were out in the ocean. And my father got between me and the ocean. He, he, he let me play as far as I wanted to in the front, but he would move where I moved, and he would shift where I shifted so, that, so as that I wouldn't be pulled out by a current or get too far out. 
That's the Lord looking at our situation and stepping in and thinking six and seven and eight and ten steps ahead of us so that to relieve our distress. This is the Lord showing us compassion. And perhaps the crescendo of this passage, which is not always a positive crescendo, but, but it says as a, he, knows that our, he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. It says, as a man, his days are like grass. His flowers, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. My grass and the drought that we had the last few weeks is as brown and crunchy as it could be. It is a reminder that even with my best attempts to seed and overseed and put down all the right care without water and the Lord raining on it, it wasn't going to grow and it wasn't going to be healthy. All of us know that our days are numbered. All of us know that our days are numbered. We choose not to remember it sometimes. And sometimes we can't get it out of our minds. But what this passage is calling us to is to not just to consider our own finiteness, but it's calling us to consider and recognize the infinite, the infinite nature of God's everlasting love. He says, this work that I began, it is from everlasting to everlasting. It is not only to you, but it will be to your children's children. Here he's talking and recognizing the generational legacy of God's covenant faithfulness. That he pays it out and pours it out, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness on those who come after us. You see, the Lord is, 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 is speaking words of encouragement to David. And David is calling us to recognize God's unbounded and unfailing love. And as he does that, he, he ends his passage with a call to rejoice. A call to rejoice with all creation. For the Lord is our sovereign ruler, our sovereign king. He says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There is no one who will come against him. There is no one who will thwart him. There is no one who will supplant him. There is no other successor. There is no one greater. And what does he do? He again calls on all creation to bless the Lord. All you his angels, all hosts, all his works and all his places of dominions. Rejoice and extol and ascribe to the Lord all that is good and praise his holy name. It's interesting when you think, why would David call on creation to rejoice? But what we find in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the excuse me, for the creation waits with eager longing for the re- revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of 
of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in the hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. David here is waiting in patience for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. He's waiting in patience and he's remembering all the things that God had done and how he had interacted in the life and history of Israel. And he's recognizing and calling us to to recognize the Lord's mighty works in his life. I was speaking with a friend several weeks ago, and one of the things he said that really struck me is he said, the Lord's never let me down. The Lord's never let me down. You see, we, we base our future anticipation, our, our future responses of things, and we use reason and deduction to assume based on past experiences. Because this individual had experienced the Lord's faithfulness, he had confidence moving forward. Because David had experienced the mercy and compassion of the Lord in the past, he had hope going forward. And it's that where we should find ourselves this morning. Friends, where do we find our hope? Where do we find our souls and what is their state? And with what words are we speaking to them? Are we simply just anxious? Are we stressed out? Are we frustrated? And if you are, what, how are we interacting with our own souls? You see, David, in, in those situations, he reminded himself of the goodness of the Lord. And as Titus tells us, there is no greater goodness than the work of Jesus Christ. Paul again writes in Titus, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord is faithful. I am, he is, he will be. He always has been and he always will. Let us pray. Our great God and King, we thank you for the richness and fullness of your mercy. Lord, watch over us and Lord, tend to our hearts. And Lord, may you stir us up to love and good deeds and all the more. Lord, may we be uh, instruments in one another's lives of encouragement. Lord, to point one another to the cross. Lord, where you worked righteousness and justice for all who were oppressed. And that, Lord, in Jesus, you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And, Lord, we bear their shame no more. So, Lord, would you meet us in this place and write the truth of your gospel on our hearts. And, Lord, when we forget it, would you remind us of the majesty and the truth and the beauty of your gospel.
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.